Are you seeking fulfillment for your life? Do you want freedom from fear? That's why we're here. Welcome to Jesus 101, introducing you to the real Jesus. And now, here's your host, Elizabeth Talbot. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Talbot. Thank you so much for joining us again. We continue our series of Women of the Bible, and we are doing this week Unnamed Women. Women that we don't know their names, we just know their situation, or where they're from, or their sickness, or their circumstances, like the one we're going to see today. I don't know if you have ever been so desperate that you can't see through your tears. This is the type of thing that is happening in today's story. It is registered in Luke chapter 7, and I hope you, if you are home, you can take the Bible, and, and if you are driving, well, later on, read it. It's in chapter 7, starting on verse 11. And, you know, the other day I went through something that reminded me of this story, so I'm going to start with that. When I came to this country, um, I was already 22 years old, and that's 30 years ago, and... You know, I was a youth leader in a church when I arrived here. And I, you know, I know I have an accent now, but back then I had a lot more accent. And actually, there were some words that I didn't even know how to say. And I had this youth group that I led and I taught them the Bible, but they taught me English. And uh, one of them, his name was Jojo. He was so funny. He was about 14 or 15 years old, and actually, no, he was 12 years old. And he used to tell me how to pronounce things so that I wouldn't say something crazy. And he was a very, very funny, extremely funny individual. Now, I spent 15 years as a youth leader of that group, and they became young adults, and they got married, and they got their kids. So I always was like kind of the grandma of their, of their kids, you know, and so we all kept in touch and every once in a while, until today, we, we get together and play some games like they used to play when they were my kids, you know, in the youth group. And their kids are in another room and we all get silly again like we used to when they were young. Well, the other day, I got the terrible, terrible news that uh, Jojo had passed away. He was one of the youngest uh, members of our youth group. So he was 41 years old when he passed away. And it was, the whole group got together again, and, and there was a big memorial service, I mean, um, from all over the world, actually, because he was from the Philippines. And I um, attended by, by the, through the computer because they streamed the service. But I sent a letter that they were going to read as her, as, as his youth leader, and uh, he had become a youth leader himself. And he has said that he, he actually got so much from when he was a youth that he wanted to give back. And I was so touched by all the things that he was doing. And, and then this happened. And when I uh, sent the letter, I talked about the story that we're going to see today of this woman that loses her son and Jesus will interrupt the funeral. And, I, and, and on this letter, I said, how much I wish that Jesus today would interrupt this funeral, would interrupt this memorial service and stop the crowd and do a miracle and raise this young man back to life. And so that's what I was saying in this letter. I was like, I wish Jesus would come today and do exactly what he did for this woman. And let's study this. And let's, maybe we can answer the question later on. Does Jesus do this type of thing? anymore? Has he lost his power? Is he the same Jesus? 
what is going on? How come we don't see this as often anymore? How come we have so many people mourning loved ones who pass away untimely? So let's get to our setting, Luke chapter 7. And the geography is given to us because it's very important. Chapter 7, verse 11 says that Jesus, soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. So the first thing you're given is the geographical setting. It is very important uh, because Nain was only six miles southeast of Nazareth. So Jesus is originally from Nazareth in the, in the sense that he grows up in Nazareth. Everybody knows him there. And we're in a village only six miles away. So all these people are following Jesus. There's a large crowd. They are, have not entered yet the city or the village of Nain. They're outside the city. And they find another crowd. So if you can imagine, there's two crowds. You can almost imagine the crowd with Jesus all pumped up, all, you know, praising God and singing hymns. I mean, after all, they're with the Messiah. He's doing great miracles. He's, he's healing their sick. And this crowd meets another crowd. And Luke makes it so startling, this juxtaposition of two crowds, one coming into the city, one coming out of the city. And verse 12 says, as he approached the gate of the city, so he's still outside, a dead man was being carried out, and we are told in detail who this dead man was. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. So we meet these two they couldn't be more opposite crowds. One coming with Jesus, probably praising him, probably bringing, you know, all those who had been healed, etc., etc. And we meet this other crowd, a crowd that is coming towards the outside because they buried their dead outside the city. And they meet at the gate of the city. These two sizable, it says, actually, I like, like the words in the Greek because they're great crowds, both of them. And we are told how destitute this woman is. Now, uh, in order for us to understand the main characters here, we have to understand that a widow at that time was completely destitute because already she did not have a husband or any income for that matter because, you know, women didn't go out to, to work regularly. But she had, you know, somebody. It was a son. So as long as you had a male in your life, somehow you could actually survive. So she had an only son, and we're told very specifically it was an only son. And now her only son has died. So her husband has died, and her only son has died. So if you're going through something kind of hopeless, where you are not only feeling helpless, but hopeless, this is the story. She's completely run out of options. You know when you have plan A, plan B, plan C, and maybe all the way to Z? And she has run out of options. So that's why it's so important sometimes to understand the social analysis of the text. And, and there's many different commentaries you can buy that gives you the, the whole idea of the background of the society of the time so that you would understand that not only is she emotionally destitute, but she's fully uh, now uh, destitute in every sense of the word. She epitomizes what would be the poor in the Gospel of Luke, which are not just poor financially, but poor in the society. And, and like there's nothing for them. Not only was she a widow, but now she has no son who could support her or speak in her name or defend her or protect her. 
So these two crowds meet. You know, sometimes it feels like uh, when we go to church, this happens. You know, you see all these people that seem to have it all together and you're coming into the presence of God kind of empty and destitute and you're saying, hey, how come there's enough for everybody and not for me? And I'm sure that if this woman saw everybody dancing and and singing around Jesus, she must have wondered, is there enough for my problem, for the situation I'm going through? So in verse 13, the words are carefully chosen. The first thing we see is that when the Lord saw her, this is a very important word. It's a similar word to the one used uh, later on in chapter 8 of Luke when the bleeding woman uh, were told that she was noticed by Jesus. You know, women were, (laughs) were actually very used to not being noticed. But in this case, the Lord saw her and felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. What do you mean, Jesus? Why shouldn't she weep? She just lost her only hope in this on this earth, her only son. She has already lost so much, you know, when you think, what else can go wrong? And then you get an answer. Oh, this too could go wrong. Well, that's where she is. She's at the bottom. This is where you hit bottom. This is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, what do you mean? Do not weep. Well, he knows why she's, he's saying that because he's about to interrupt the funeral. You know, I, and that's the pivot of the story. And every time I attend a funeral, and like I did with JoJo's uh, through the internet, I said, how much I wish that Jesus would find this crowd today and come and interrupt this particular funeral. And we're told in verse 14, he came up and touched the coffin. This is a big deal because you couldn't touch a coffin because you became unclean, the same way that he's going to touch the bleeding woman in the next chapter. He touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt, you think? I mean, no, they have probably never had seen somebody come and touch the coffin. And, and you had to do all kinds of uh, purification things if, if you were the bearer of the, of the coffin. And he spoke to the dead men. So by now, both crowds are in silence because he's interrupting a funeral. You don't interrupt a funeral. But Jesus did. And he said three things. Young men... This is why we know he was a young man, and that's why Jojo keeps coming to my mind. Young men, I say to you, arise. So you can imagine this crowd thinking, this man has gone crazy. But the crazy thing is not what he's saying, it's what happens next. Verse 15, the dead man, and this is how you get the confirmation of the miracle, we're told what happens next. The dead man sat up. And began to speak. Not only did he sit, but he began to speak. And I love the next the next sentence. Jesus gave him back to his mother. It's almost like Jesus is restoring this woman to the community. It's, it's like Jesus saying, I have a gift for you. You can have your, your son back. And so we have now the confirmation. Everybody starts glorifying God. And the two crowds become one crowd. Remember, one was, was, was crazy happy and the other one was mourning and sad and, and crying. Now both crowds become one crowd. They all start glorifying Jesus. Verse 16, fear gripped them all and they all began glorifying God. Now there's no two crowds anymore. It's only one crowd. Everybody's praising God. And they're saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And the word great, as you probably know from other broadcasts, is mega. A mega prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And it says in verse 17 that this report concerning him went out all over Judea. And uh, yeah, of course. So uh, we had 
this type of thing before in the Old Testament, like you can read it in First Kings 17, when Elijah resurrects the widow's um, son. Has this great prophet come now in the New Testament? What is going on? Well, of course, all of us who are Christians, we know that Jesus had power over death. We have three resurrections that he actually performs in the New Testament, Lazarus and the, this one that we're studying and, and the daughter of Jairus. So is he still able to do this type of thing? Have we run out of power? What is going on? Is God still visiting us? Well, every time I go to a funeral, I remember one thing. These resurrections were what we call inactive parables, where they showed us how the end would be. Because all the people that Jesus resurrected eventually died again. Lazarus died again, and, and this boy died again, and so did the daughter of Jairus. Jesus was showing that he had the ultimate power over death. And there's a delay factor now in funerals. It's not that Jesus doesn't have power anymore. It's just that there is a delay factor. We have to wait a while until he will come and resurrect everybody that has believed in him. And so it's not that he doesn't do this anymore. It's that he did these things so that we would remember that there's an ultimate reality that is the real thing. And it's, it's actually narrated in chapter 21 of Revelation in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death or any mourning or crying or pain for those things we have passed away. See, all these things that Jesus did when he was among us was to remind us how it ends. Jesus wins. He's coming back for us. He has power over death. So it's not that he doesn't interrupt funerals anymore. It's that very soon he will interrupt them for good. And we will never have to deal with death, mourning, crying, or pain again. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today on Jesus 101. For more insights and resources, connect with us at Jesus101.tv. That's Jesus101.tv. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Jesus101Institute and follow us on Twitter at Jesus101Media. Until next time, live free.